Welcome to North Star Big Book. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. My sobriety date is January 27th, 1999, and I created this podcast simply to share the message of the big book. It completely changed my life. It always changes my life, and I hope it can help change yours. Hi, Carly, recovering alcoholic. I actually am thrilled to the point of I, like glitter coming out of my face to tell you who I've got on here today. Who is on here? What's your name? Hi, Nikki Lewinson. Hi, Nikki. Hello. What are you? I'm an alcoholic. No, because you got to have street cred here. Yeah. What's your sobriety date. So my sobriety date is November thirteenth, two thousand. Oh, look out! Hello. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Boston, Massachusetts. And she doesn't even have an accent. No, I'm from New York, though. You are New York. So Nikki and I go way back to 2005. I think 2004. What year were you here for school? Four or five. Yeah. Yeah. So four, because that's when you started sponsoring me. Yes. So Nikki and I met in Cambridge, Massachusetts when I was um, going to grad school there. And we would go to this uh, morning meeting together and this Heights Young People, not Heights Young People, um, that's my Cambridge. Other um, Cambridge Young People on Wednesday nights, who I love, love, love. And we've got those people coming to our big book meeting now and it makes me so happy. And we were friends, like Nikki was so friendly and outgoing and I loved her. And then we were sitting at a meeting one day and I realized that she was a total effing mess and needed <laughs> to get back into the steps. And she's like, will you help me? And I'm like, I'm your friend. I can't help you. <laughs> And you're like, I need help. And I made a decision after praying about it. And I was like, I will help her, but I'm still going to be your friend, but I have to help her first. That's before friend, because this is way more important. And we've managed to be friends this entire time. Mm-hmm. We got married a week apart, divorced a year apart, babies <laughs> around the same time. Basically, whatever Nikki needs to know about her life, she just has to ask me and I'll do it and then she'll do it next. Yeah, you go first. That's what I always say. I'll go first. I'll go first. You go first. Tell me how to do it next. So, and, and I have met so many incredible humans through Nikki and AA. And I just, I know we're going to be lifelong friends. And I'm excited to be old women in AA with her one day. And one day, God willing, when our children, God willing, grow up and are out of the house, we will actually get to vacation and be together. Yeah. I just, she is my go-to person when we want to get down to the truth and get real and we can call each other out. And I just, she's fabulous. And she runs marathons while she does inventories and she's just amazing. <laughs> and I love her. Well, I'm so grateful for you. And it's really funny to hear the way that you introduce our story. Because I tell it a little differently. Let me hear how you tell it. Yeah. So I I mean, mostly the same, right? And the dearest of friends, Carly is my MVP, VIP in life. I always say that. But I was sitting in that meeting a few years sober, had done no work. You know, I had done like a little bit of one, a little bit of two. And then I'd always say I get stuck on three and you'd be like, no, you haven't done three. Then you would have already started four because you made the decision. Right. Yeah. And Carly was such a ray of sunshine and light and recovery in this 8am women's meeting. And um, in my mind, I remember you saying you need to do the work out of the book because then you'll feel better. 
And I was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's for me. And you were like, no, no. And then I was like, please, will you do this with me? Wait, I like what you said on the bed for me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure. Like, I, maybe I'll just be crazy in AA. I mean, I felt a whole lot better just not drinking, but I was not sustainable. Could you imagine if you just never inventoried? No, I mean, I, it changed my entire life. Uh, it's like a pivotal moment meeting you and learning how to do this work daily. And then, um, you know, over the years, cause we've been together a long time. If I, if I fall off at any point of like daily inventories, I get a text like, oh, congratulations. How's your new sponsor? Uh, I hope she's amazing or whatever you say. And I'm like, oh, I you're doing inventory. I usually say, can you, do you want me to send all your records to your new sponsor? So she has <laughs> and you introduced me to so many amazing humans. I can't even thank you enough. What page are we doing? Okay. So, so we're doing two different lines, but you can tell me how you want to do it. I listen to your podcast all the time, but then when it's my turn, I got like all. Oh, what, what page? So start on seven. We're in Bill's story. Okay, and, okay. um, the this oh, is so nice. Story, it makes me uncomfortable because I relate to it so much, and it reminds me of how yucky and pain. Oh, the top of seven says late stage full blown alcoholism on it. Yeah, it's it's a it's such an uncomfortable story to read because I identify so much, and I I would have first read it before I you know was able to identify. I've been like, I have nothing in common with this man. And then you read the story, looking for ways to identify, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just like him. Um, but what I, I have underlined, and it's actually just one line, and then I'm going to skip to another page, is almost all the way down at, at the middle of the page, I'd say, it says, surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. So before we get there, I want you to go back just for the reader mm -hmm. to the top of seven at next day. Yeah, just to give them a little bit of understanding Context. and reminding them that this is Bill. He's at his end. Um, the doctors just introduced drugs into his story. So for anyone out there that thinks that it's all about alcohol, both of our co-founders took drugs and mixed it with alcohol and nearly died. So start right there. Uh, the doctor came with heavy sedative. Okay. And we, can I say one other thing about just to set up the context? Is that it when we read Bill's story, like when I read it with my sponsor for the first time on the phone with me right now, um, we marked all the she had me mark all the pro the progression. So everywhere his disease is progressing, it says next to it in my book progression. So there's already been a lot of progression of the disease. And now we're going to start at the top of page seven and I'll read next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. So that was progression. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. So there's the physical sign. See, we have the same notes in our book. It makes me excited. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. That's Towns Hospital. This is in New York City, 1933. So he's now in asylums. He's drinking and using drugs. People are afraid of his for his sanity. He can't eat and he's underweight. So tell me what happens in that hospital. So under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. 
Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that through those certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. So that's where he learns about the disease. Physical allergy, mental obsession. He's talking about Dr. Silkworth. That's when he meets him. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. That's part of why I love this reading. Before you get there. So what we just went over about my incredible behavior in the face of desperate desire, that's the mental obsession. He doesn't understand. He understands this is a problem and this is the solution. And he doesn't understand why he's not following what he knows. Right. And that understanding myself now, I fear forth and I hope that's the self-knowledge that you're about to get to. So keep going. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. And that's my one of my favorite lines of the big book. Tell us why. So I love the whole idea of um, in the big book, and it, I, there's a whole bunch of pages that self-knowledge is referenced on, and we can flip to more of them if you like, is that knowing I'm an alcoholic and knowing what I need to do never, ever, ever will save me. It's taking action. And I think that learning over time, especially the difference between saying, I know, I know, I know, and doing, doing, doing are totally different parts of recovery. Like knowing is important. Like if you hadn't taken me through the big book and taught me how to do this work daily, um, I would have just read the big book and been like, okay, now I know I'm going to go live my life. But you can die with that information, right? Die with it. That's why one, two, and three are you can die with one, two, and three, because one is the problem, two is a solution, three is making a decision to do something about it. But if you don't do anything about it, like we were saying when we first met, you die, right? So self, and I had a sponsor that talked about that sentence over and over that we have to smash it home upon the alcoholic, that self-knowledge is not our answer. It's not our problem. So we don't not have enough information and it's not our solution. We don't use that information to stay sober. It's the application of the information. Four of my sponsors, went out after 10 plus years of sobriety with that information, with the same information me and you were going over. Yeah, and that's why when like I'm in a meeting and somebody's like, how did they go out after 20 years or whatever? Well, there I've never known anyone who is doing this, doing the work to the best of their ability daily, who's gone out. Yeah. Anyone I know who's gone out and if I ask them, and I, I do find it, important to ask like what happened is that they slowly unraveled their program and they're like I knew I know I know I know but they're not doing anything about it a hundred percent of the people that I know that do this work stay sober a hundred percent of the time Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say a different name so no one's um sobriety is known but me and you will know this person we'll call her Madeline and Mm -hmm. Madeline and I Madeline you and I were connected in Cambridge I remember being at our home group and seeing her from across the room and thinking she's gorgeous and skinny and well-dressed. And then they asked, are there newcomers? And she stood up and she was a newcomer. That was the first time I saw her. She introduced herself. She was brand new. And she became a woman that we were called about. It was called about her Mm. in the middle of the night for a long time. If she's alive, she's sober. Otherwise she's dead of the disease. And I remember thinking that it's so 
like alcoholism to see someone from across the room and think that they have it all together and then not have any idea what they're really like. And she was one of the worst alcoholics I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. We yeah. would get calls from police officers. I found this girl. She had your number in her pocket. And it's such a reminder. She knew what the solution was. We, we don't talk about new things at meetings. It's the same thing every single meeting, right? <laughs> the knowledge is not enough. It's what are you doing with that information? Yeah, and it's a call to action for, for, for me, that's for sure, to always say, like, uh, saying I know is like an instant red flag. So as soon as I have something going on and I'm like, I know, I know, I know what I need to do. It's like, okay, well, am I doing it? You know, am I like texting my sponsor, you know, my 10th step? Am I, you know, taking action? And it can be, you know, obviously in AA this works, but then it's a life lesson for everything. Yeah. Like knowing what we need to do for our health or our parenting or whatever it is, like doesn't really matter if we're not taking action and doing it. And I think that I've learned this so much so as an alcoholic and here sober that I'm very, very black and white about this. Like with my kids, with my husband, when they tell me that they're going to do something, unless they do it, it's useless for me. Like, I'm like, do it. Either take the action or don't take the action. And, you know, the four famous words of every relapser is I know, yeah, but. I know, I know, yeah, but, right? Um, what's your next page you want to take us to? Okay, so the next page is on the same topic. It's just another part where the big book drives it home to page 26. And here we go through, I don't know if you want to set context for it, but above all, it's in the middle of the page and we're just going to talk more about the self-knowledge here. It's just another example. Yeah, no, started as certain American businessman. So tell us who this is. This is Roland Hazard, okay? This is a guy that spent a year with Dr. Carl Young. And he was a party animal that was rich and he was sent away for a year. And that's the beginning of this paragraph. So start there. Okay. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. And then here's where I love it, talking about self-knowledge again. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. He is physically sober a year. There's no alcohol or drugs in his body. His brain has been filled with a solution. He knows what to do, what not to do. And he's going to pick up because of the mental obsession, because an obsession is a thought that's bigger than all other thoughts. So self-knowledge, which is really important, is not going to be powerful enough against the mental obsession. It's just not. So that is exactly what I was going to say with that, is that even though he... um, has this knowledge, it doesn't matter. And as we see, as it goes on, nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time, even with all that knowledge. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So that's the mental blank spot that they talk about at a different part. And to me, the amount of times that self-knowledge availing us nothing is, or is that what it says in the book somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah, avails us nothing. That um, 
that they mention it is just so important to me. And I, I love it because it brings me to action. Everything you said is about the mental obsession. It's about, because our brain thinks that we know, and ultimately what, what self-knowledge is when we're doing it is I've got this. Yep. I've got this. So anytime I don't do an inventory when I need to do my meditation when I need to call back someone, text back somebody, show up at the meeting, whatever I need to do spiritually to stay fit. I'm essentially saying with my action, I've got this. Yes. Yeah, the ultimate. Yeah. But right. Yeah. yeah. It's the ultimate. Yeah. But it's the ultimate. Yeah. But, and what I think is um, so helpful for me is that I'm, can we go to one more spot in the book? I would love to. Okay. So page 39 and more about alcoholism. They really drive this point home. This and is the paragraph. I'm so glad you brought us here that my first sponsor memorized and would say over and over and over. And she went out at 10 plus years of sobriety. Right. There you go. So that may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavenly at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. So pause. What I always ask here is, could you stop or moderate? Because I was able to stop and moderate. I just couldn't stay stopped and stay moderated. Yeah. And I, I, when I, I couldn't stay stopped or moderated, that's how I ended up here. But what I would say is also when I stopped or moderated, I was so angry. Like I was watching everyone else, what they could do. I couldn't, I didn't get to, I wasn't allowed to, I was missing out. And that's not a way to live either. And that's not sustainable, right? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so even when I was sober, before I started doing the work, I had that was taken from me being so angry about it, but I needed to fill it with the solution and action so I could clear that stuff out because that was only gone for, you know, a limited time. There were other behaviors filling up that hole until I eventually would have picked up a drink. So then it goes on to say, but the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers that has been revealed to us of out of bitter experience. So then they go into another illustration and my notes there are self-knowledge is not the answer and we're absolutely powerless over alcohol, meaning I need to start doing something to recover. Right, because we've lost the power of choice. We've gone beyond that human aid. We have no, phys you know, we have a physical allergy, a mental obsession. We cannot control it. And when they say about smashing home, for me, that is over and over and over. It doesn't matter what you know, what are you doing, right? My favorite story about relapse is the guy with 42 years of sobriety who came back and introduced himself and all the guys around him said, what happened? And he said, I had too many years in AA, not enough days. I was focused on how much time I had and I didn't do anything with the time I had. And that's what it's about. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think you've said it to me before. Time is not a tool. So like having time under, when I was new, I would think, Oh, if I had this amount of time, I'd feel this way and I'd never need to worry about it again. But the more time or more days, I should say, I get an AA, the more I hold the work tight, 
A, I want to feel good, right? And B, like, I don't believe that time will ever keep me sober. I don't believe that knowing this will keep me sober. I believe that doing this will. And I think that um, the rest of the book and all the, you know, four through 12 are going to show me how to do this and what I need to do. And then 10, 11, and 12 is like all the daily work of it, you know, but um, without believing this and having them say it so many times over and over again, because I never hear something the first time, right? that it doesn't matter what I know, it matters what I do with that knowledge that's going to keep me protected. And it's so interesting because that is actually how we change as humans and how people start to respect and trust us is the exact same way is it doesn't matter what you say is matter what you're doing. So it's all about action. This was a whole program based on action. The only steps that don't require action are one, two, and three. The rest is action. And three is a decision. So there's still action. So it's really just two steps that don't require action. It's what are you doing? You know, I love that idea that the beautiful ducks on the water, if you stick your head under the water are moving their, their legs really, really fast, but it looks like on the outside that they're not doing anything, but you cannot look a certain way without doing this work here. Like, and we most, being you have so much to lose. Like so much to lose. And everything is contingent on me doing my work in AA. And and I'm grateful for that because where there is so much out of our control, like I can do my work. And I do believe like if I do the work and let go of the results, like God has them, right? But I'm gonna tell everybody this in a loving way. When Nikki's doing her 10 steps on a daily basis, they are short. And when Nikki's doing her 10 steps, not on a daily basis, you have to scroll on the phone <laughs> to read the whole entire goddamn story. Because she knows when she's doing them on a regular basis, which is most of the time, she just gets rid of the crap and we keep moving, right? Keep moving. And it's, 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 uh, it's so freeing. And I'm so grateful you. for that. I'm so grateful for you. You better stay with me for the rest of our lives. I mean, I you're stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere. That's for I'm sure. I'm so grateful. Yeah, you I'm so grateful for you. Thank I you. Love you. Hi, guys. I just wanted to let you know that my memoir, Seconds and Inches, is out. It's on paperback, digital, and even audio with me narrating. And I'm really hoping you'll check it out. You can get it on Amazon, Audible, Apple, or anywhere else you normally get audio downloads. And the intro is by one of my favorite authors, Jennifer Pasteloff. I get to narrate the entire story, which is a dream of mine that I never thought was going to happen. I just wanted to share this with you because I would love your support and I would love to hear your feedback on what you think.